Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Drags and it's Wednesday, November 14th. Time for episode 271 of Patriot's Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and of course follow us on Twitter at PatriotsCLNS for all of your football coverage, including of course the New England Patriots. Well, this is the bye week for the Patriots and a time for self-scouting and self-assessment. After a 34-10 loss to the Titans that dropped the Patriots, Seven and three after ten games, there's plenty of both to do. So I figured this week would be a good time as any to take a look inside the Patriots with our guy who breaks down film with the best of them, and I mean this. Evan Lazar, our Patriots beat writer. Uh long time no talk, Evan. How you been? Uh, yeah, it's been uh, what, two days? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh so I gotta say at at our uh, adult uh beverage establishment on Sunday afternoon where we just, uh, I'll just go ahead and say Bar Louie. It was a good take um, for, uh, if you couldn't be down in Nashville at Nissan Stadium, um, yourself, uh, Alex Barth and me uh, were able to take in and watch the game uh, and certainly poke some fun at Alex Barth. <laughs> it's always fun to poke fun at Alex. I mean, we love him to death. It's it's like you know poking fun at your brother or something like That's that. That's exactly but, uh, right. But well, it's always <laughs> you know. Okay, okay, the thing is, and for those out there not as familiar with Alex as uh, either myself or uh, Evan, Alex is a dyed-in-the-wool Patriots fan. He grew up a, a New Englander, and it, it, he is the classic new Patriot fan, and Alex readily admits this, that's what makes it so hilarious if a play doesn't go well, or if, God forbid, Josh McDaniels calls a reverse pass from Julian Edelman to Tom Brady, to watch Alex's reaction when things go bad. I'm sorry, but it's hilarious. And I have to, as you know I did at the table, I am telling him, look, dude, you have five Super Bowls, You've been to the Super Bowl eight <laughs> times in your lifetime. Chill a little bit, okay? Well, that's why he has such high standards, though, right? Like, you know, this is a we don't sell for anything less. But no, I think he punched a chair, uh, actually, when <laughs> they threw did. that pass to uh, <laughs> he did to Brady. And uh, we we love him, but he uh, he definitely um, – he, he can definitely lose his mind with the best of them when uh, things aren't going well. So um, that is a perfect segue because a lot of Patriots fans were punching their hands uh, on chairs and I'm sure other pieces of furniture with the performance 
of the Patriots, but specifically Tom Brady on Sunday. Uh, there's been a lot of breakdown, including by yourself on clnsmedia.com, of how Tom Brady performed on Sunday. And I thought you were as level-headed as anybody when you said, look, Brady was not and has not been at his MVP level this year. I think anybody who's watched him game in week in and week out knows that. But also you have to take a look at what's been around Tom Brady uh, this year. And certainly uh, there's an explanation for some of his drop-off in production, right? Sure, yeah. I think that, you know, Tom keeps telling us this every time we talk to him that he kind of feels like it's been a revolving door at a lot of positions on offense and they haven't really had their guy, 11 or 12 guys that they're kind of going to rely on in January and hopefully into February um, to, you know, kind of ride or die with on the field at the same time in a lot of these games. You know, it's uh, Julian Edelman's missed the first four weeks. Rob Gronkowski's in and out of the lineup. Sony Michelle is in and out of the lineup. Josh Gordon comes in midseason. Uh, his tackles are in and out of the lineup his starting right guard is you know there and then not there so a lot of you know that's just kind of football season right the war of attrition so a lot of this isn't new for Tom Brady but I think that he's just saying you know we're not our finished product yet and right now uh, they're just kind of trying to grind through this part of the schedule and it's kind of a grind for everybody you know this time of year players coaches media we're all kind of just trying to get through the rest of the regular season in one piece and that that's kind of I think where this Patriots offense is right now and then they're just kind of hoping that all the pieces come back together and can kind of mesh in time to you know go on a playoff run. Do you think, after watching the film, Tom was forcing it to Josh Gordon too much And if you, on Sunday? And if you do, do you think that the reason for that is they are trying to force-feed him uh, to get him to the point where he is game-ready and the number one option, certainly if Gronk isn't available, uh, closer to the playoffs? I definitely think they are forcing it to Gordon on occasion, yes. I think that... Coming into the game, uh, for whatever reason, whatever they saw on film or what they saw in the past with Adoree Jackson, they really liked Josh Gordon versus Adoree Jackson. They thought that that was a matchup that favored the Patriots heavily. I'm talking about the coaching staff. I'm talking about Tom Brady, everybody from the top on down. And every single time the uh, Titans were in cover one coverage with a safety in the middle of the field and Josh Gordon had a one-on-one matchup on the outside – Brady was going with, you know, a jump ball back shoulder or something along those lines to the sideline to Gordon against Jackson one-on-one every single time. Uh, it was, it was clear that it was something that they liked about that matchup because it was so predetermined. It was determined pre-snap. In some instances, even just immediately Brady would take the snap, look over to Josh Gordon, throw a jump ball and say, go make a play. And that was kind of just, you know, a lot of targets that went incomplete that was what they were they were back shoulders and they were jump balls and a few of those I put on Josh Gordon to you know not necessarily all on him but to win a contested catch battle that at least once that you kind of accustomed to seeing him win his entire NFL career but certainly since he came here uh, last week against Green Bay he won a couple of those one you know obviously didn't count but the other one did 
And uh, I think that they were kind of hoping that they, he was going to win some of those situations. Now, in terms of forcing him for the long term, I I tend to like back off of those types of things a little bit because I always hear Bill Belichick tell us that they call every game and they play every game to win that game. But at the same time, I'm not naive. So I, I do think that some of it is, you know, there's no rep like a game rep. And in order right. to get Josh Gordon, you know, up to speed with Tom Brady and within this offense, that's, you know, kind of what they have to do is target him a lot. But in a game without Gronkowski, I mean, he is the best option other than Julian Edelman. So he was going to see 10, 12 targets seems about fair it just was kind of the way that they were targeting him and how they were just kind of expecting him to jump over the Dory Jackson, who's a very good athlete, and just continue to do that. I don't understand why, when Malcolm Butler was on Chris Hogan, Tom Brady didn't look that way more. Yeah, so basically the Titans demoted Malcolm Butler to their third cornerback. He was their nickel corner, their third corner, whatever you want to call it. And uh, Dory Jackson and Logan Ryan were the top two guys. And uh, when the Titans were in base defense, which wasn't very often, obviously, that it was right. only those two guys, Dory and Logan Ryan, on the field. But when Malcolm came on the field, you know, what did they do? They did kind of what I expected them to do, and that was they they hit him on the Patriots' worst receiver, uh, who right now is Chris Hogan. So they uh, they put him on Chris Hogan, and they, they kind of relied on him to – you know, cover up Chris Hogan, and he did, for the most part, do his job pretty well. There was that double move, obviously, at the end of the game that Tom Brady, uh, Jim Gray, asked Tom Brady about, and Brady said, you know, I, I missed him on that one. I should have got gotten it to him instead of Julian Edelman. But that uh, was overall, on the fourth down like, over the middle, right? Yeah, where he yeah. threw into three uh-huh. yep. uh, triple coverage. Yeah, he threw into tight coverage, and there was a couple of better options I thought on that play. And uh, you know, we can talk about uh, soon here. But I, I think that overall, with Chris Hogan, he just wasn't winning a whole lot of routes against Malcolm Butler. And uh, you know, maybe there was one or two times that you can point to on tape. But overall, I think that with Brady and Hogan right now, there's a trust issue. First of all, and second of all, I think that there's just a separation issue for Chris Hogan, where he's just not winning a lot of routes. So it's going to be tough to for Brady to continually look for him, you know, on a on a first read or something like that if he's just not winning consistently. All right, I'm going to ask you to give me some of your top reasons, not really to be overly concerned about the future of the Hall of Fame quarterback, and reasons you may feel that maybe the cliff isn't approaching, but there's a pretty big downward slope uh, coming up for Brady. Give me give well, me I both for- sides here. Well, I think for those that, you know, want to look for cliffs, I think his handling of pressure this season is kind of uh, indicative to what you normally see from a quarterback when his play starts to decline or you see from a quarterback that just isn't very good. You know, the guys that aren't usually in the conversation with Tom Brady, the, you know, uh, Ryan Tannehill's of the world or, or the rookies quarterbacks around the league. When you don't handle pressure well, that's usually a trait that you're not playing very well. And that's what's happening with with Brady right now and uh you know I'm kind of going back to the last three games taking the bye week without having to look ahead to another team or, or you know recap a Patriots game this weekend to kind of see what's going on with Tom Brady over these last three games and the first thing that you know stands out to me is that his handling of pressure and he, his comfortability in the pocket when things are kind of chaotic around him is nowhere near what it was last year. Last year, he was dynamite against pressure, best in the league, highest passer rating in the league under pressure, and he would just stand in there 
and he would just throw darts, stepping into throws, unaffected at all. The guys, you know, hitting him, draped all over him. None of it mattered. It, it was all just kind of a zero focus in on where he was throwing the football, and he was able to get the ball out and, and make plays under pressure better than any quarterback in the league. So you see that happening to him this year a little bit, where the pressure is kind of getting to him. His lower body mechanics is something that I think a lot of people um, that watch the tape like I do that start to pick up on some of the things that are going on with Tom Brady are going to notice. Um, the few things that I have noticed are kind of things that we talk about normally with quarterbacks that, you know, when we're talking about the draft process, guys, um, you know, are coming into the draft and you're trying to pick out their flaws and stuff like that as a prospect. Normally we start talking about lower body mechanics and, uh, you know, how their footwork is and stuff like that. And Brady's, usually just been fantastic in that regard one of the best in the league with his footwork but right now i see him throwing from some narrow bases especially under pressure when the pocket's collapsing not necessarily a free runner um, but when the pocket's collapsing around him uh, he's not stepping into the throws and he's you know shrinking his base which always for any quarterback is going to affect your accuracy down the field and you throw from a, a small base a guy not to compare lamar jackson to tom brady but lamar jackson is a guy that basically got roasted all of the draft process last year for throwing with a narrow base. So that's, you know, kind of where all this kind of stems from. And the other thing that I'm seeing from him with his lower body mechanics is his hip is tending to open up a little bit more than you would like to see a little bit earlier than you would like to see in his foot. And this is something that you kind of, see from Brady when he gets under pressure in the offense. He doesn't trust the offensive line in front of him. His front foot is going to point more towards the sideline than he wants it to. And those lower hips, those hips are going to torque open faster. And when that happens, you get throws like the one that we had to James White on Sunday where it just looks like an ephus and it looks, you know, really like a knuckleball coming out of his hand. All of that starts from the waist down. So I, I think a lot of that it has to do with it as well and, and the pressure aspect of it too this i don't think you know was necessarily a big picture issue coming into tennessee but it was certainly something to take away out of tennessee was that he sometimes has a tendency all for a lot of his career but this year i feel like more in particular and i wonder if it's something that he's kind of um, subconsciously doing to kind of keep himself healthy. And that is, is that he's bailing on a lot of plays a lot earlier than we are used to him seeing. What I mean by that is he's either turtling in the pocket and going right down and just taking the sack, but maybe he has an extra half a to deliver a pass or he's just throwing the ball into the third row and just you know not getting to his check down not getting to his second read as soon as he sees that rusher coming off or sees feels a rusher coming off a block or sees it right in front of him he's just chucking the ball into the stands and he had six throwaways in that game against uh 10 which is a lot um for him even even though he's one of those guys that kind of tends to throw the ball away and live to see another day type thing. So I wonder at 41, you know, is he kind of making the decision to say, okay, I'm not going to stand in the pocket and deliver some of these throws in November and October and even December, and I'm going to wait to save all those, you know, bullets under pressure for when it matters the most in January and February. And if I get hurt then, then, you know, so be it. So I wonder if some of that has to do with it because last year, if you remember, Trags, he yep. played a lot of the season hurt. He did. Uh, you know, he played uh, with that Achilles in his ankle or whatever ankle injury that was, and he played with the AC sprain in his off uh, his uh, non-throwing shoulder. 
because of, I think he was trying to, you know, stand in the pocket a little bit longer and take some of that punishment. So uh, I think that all those things, lower body mechanics, handling of pressure, I'm going to write about, um, you know, with, with Brady and what I've been seeing with him. And I know a couple of other people that, you know, I trust their eyes too that are saying the same thing. Speaking with our own CLNS Patriots beat writer and film aficionado, Evan Lazar. Hey, everybody, I want to tell you about the future of journalism. If you haven't seen it by now, here's your chance to join a sports revolution. It's called The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash patsbeat, all lowercase, and sign up now for 40% off. That's theathletic.com slash patsbeat all lowercase, for your first subscription to The Athletic for less than $3 a month. I was just reading Jeff Howe's terrific breakdown of what went wrong in Nashville and the five problem areas that might need addressing in the final six regular season games. Hint, it's not all Tom Brady. Then there's Matt (laughs) Chatham's great weekly insight to the X's and O's. His breakdown uh, going into the Tennessee game was a absolute must-read. He really hit the nail on the head on Marcus Mariota. The Athletic is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. The model is simple, no ads, no pop-ups, and no autoplay videos. Instead, readers subscribe for authentic, in-depth coverage written by journalists who know their teams Inside and out. Go to theathletic.com slash patsbeat, all lowercase. Again, that's theathletic.com slash patsbeat for 40% off now. Subscribe and be part of the future of sports journalism. Speaking with Evan Lazar. All right, we've spent enough time, I think, on Tom Brady. Uh, let's get <laughs> on to uh, uh, the defensive line and uh, an area that I think, for the most part, has been a strength of this team. And uh, on Sunday, it, w- it was a rare case of they just kind of got uh, beat up at the line of scrimmage and got kind of got manhandled. Um, I want to get your sense of how important that defensive front's going to be the rest of the year, Evan. Yeah, I mean, I think that really from what I've seen of this defense, when that defensive line plays well, and it's similar on the offensive side of the ball, it really starts on the line of scrimmage. I know we want to talk about Tom Brady. We want to talk about Josh Gordon. Um, and, and some of the flashier players, but really for this team defensively, when they've been able to stop the run, they've been able to be successful for the most part on that side of the ball. Now, obviously, you can kind of take the Kansas City game, for example, and, and say, you know, well, that's not true in that game, but that, you know, is, is kind of an anomaly against amazing offense. You know, I'm just talking about against some of these offenses that aren't as good as Kansas City's, like a Tennessee's, when you don't stop the run in Belichick, you know, told me, when you don't stop the run, you don't get into any obvious passing situation. When you don't get into obvious passing situations, you can't rush the passer with the same kind of ferocity that they did against you know, Green Bay, for example, where they knew that Green Bay wasn't going to run the ball a whole lot, and they were able to really pin their ears back and get after Rodgers. So everything, to me, it starts with stopping the run up front with the defensive line and then goes from there because then they can take and turn teams one-dimensional, and that is when they can kind of unleash some of the pass rush team that they do do the stunts and, and games and some of the blitzes that they do incorporate that have been successful this year at different times. That stuff doesn't happen, and you can't really make that play call unless you know it's going to be passed, and that really starts with you know early down defense. What about uh, the addition of Duke Dawson to the 
defense and what that means for the secondary. Because, you know, on Twitter, and I thought a couple of people made a good point, they'd like to see more speed in the front seven. Um, I obvious with the obvious reference there for linebackers that can cover a running back out of the backfield on a wheel route. But what do you think, what do you make of the uh, addition of Duke Dawson um, act, being activated, the rookie out of Florida being activated off IR? Yeah, Duke is the guy that in the pre-draft process I wasn't a huge fan of, but then once they made the pick and I kind of digested it and, and went back and revisited some of his film, I kind of understood where they were going with the pick. And I think that what he gives them is a true slot cornerback, a guy that can probably play a little bit in the box safety star role that Patrick Chung plays in as well if they wanted to go that route with him. But he's a true cover corner. He's a guy that was really good in college at covering the shiftier slot guys. I think that he could also be a matchup guy against uh, running backs potentially too. I don't know if he necessarily has the size to go up against tight ends, but maybe if they want to incorporate him in that role as well. But I think that mainly what it does is is it uh, pushes Jonathan Jones and Pat. Chung uh, as the guys that are really, you know, Chung has really been a slot corner more or less uh, over the last couple of years for the Patriots. And it pushes those two guys, I think a little bit, because I think Duke has a lot of really good uh, abilities inside there between the numbers. And I think that that's kind of where this is headed. I thought that the Duke Tossin pick was maybe a commentary on how they thought of Jonathan Jones's feeling and also the kind of longevity uh, here. We're getting into the years probably of Patrick Chung's career at least with the Patriots because he's now a veteran player so maybe turning that position over as well and kind of getting a guy that is more known for his coverage skills in that spot with the way that the league is going instead of a Patrick Chung who's more of a a safety type that is is, you know obviously an extremely productive player and a guy I've always been on the table for um, but hasn't necessarily had his best year either. No and I think there, I think you hit it on the head. I think this is more about Patrick Chung of late getting kind of exposed in coverage. Um, he's terrific yeah. on a tight end. He's physical enough to keep up in the face of a tight end. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, second and third receivers in the slot, um, he doesn't have the foot speed, I don't think, to keep up um, with some of the more dangerous uh, slot receivers that you're going to find in Pittsburgh and Kansas City, right? Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. I think uh, that that's a lot of where this position was headed. Last year, the Patriots, I think, were second to last in yards allowed to slot receivers. They were just, like, really bad at it. So when you look at, you know, what they wanted to address in the draft, right now the slot position is, you know, basically a starter, right? It's the nickel corner, the third corner is sure. a starter position in the league right now. Base because base is really nickel playing, now. Right, base is, you know, it's kind of – our teams are in nickel uh, with you know five or six defensive backs even sometimes in dime like 60 to 65 percent of the time because of how much 11 personnel teams are running on the offensive side of the ball so that's a very uh, predominant position right now and you have to also remember that when you take you know when you put a corner on the field you're taking a linebacker off the field which means that that slot corner is now essentially your strong side linebacker so there's a lot of responsibilities in the run game for that position as well so that's why a guy like Patrick Chung has worked out so well in that spot for the Patriots because he's a you know solid tackler and a very good run defender and a physical guy so I think that they're looking at this as they needed to improve coverage-wise in that slot position from last year to this year. So they went out and they drafted a slot cornerback in the second round. 
Okay, are we going to see any more 58-yard uh, kickoff returns against the Patriots special teams? You know, it's it's a head-scratcher, honestly, because you watch the film of that 58-yarder and two of the guys that you really count on the most, really three of the guys, because I, I, I kind of put Devin McCourty, you know, sort of uh, to blame, although it wasn't his fault necessarily at the point of attack, but him, uh, Nate Ebner, and Jonathan Jones or three of the four guys that I would say were mostly to blame for that big return on the backside there that both Ebner and Jonathan Jones ended up past the ball, you know, running too far upfield, which is never what you want to do in that situation. And, uh, and McCordy, I thought, you know, got a good angle on him to get him out of bounds to prevent the touchdown, but he kind of got sucked in towards the sideline a little bit too much too, and there was just no press. There was nobody on that backside to prevent that, you know, little uh, cutback by Jennings. So I think what was so surprising and what has been so surprising to me is it's not the guys that, you know, are only on kickoff coverage from time to time that are screwing up. It's some of the guys that are out there all the time that are having trouble. And I, you know, that I wrote about it a few weeks ago and asked around about the new rule changes. And they did say that the rule changes are playing a, a factor in all of this, but it's at the point now where, you know, that can't be an excuse anymore. You've repped it for 10 straight weeks. And if you include the preseason, you know, another four games in all of training camp. So at this point in time, the rules should are what they are and you should have adjusted uh, to those things. So really playing with good leverage and tackling is really the only two things that you can really point to to improve in that area. And I think a lot of people want to say, well, just boom the ball out of the back of the end zone and take, uh, you know, the touchback at the 25. But only 65% of kickoffs end in touchbacks league-wide. It's not like you can do that every single time. Sometimes the ball doesn't travel that far. Sometimes there's a gust of wind. Sometimes, as we know in New England, it's and you can't kick the ball that that far in uh, you know December and January, which is obviously where a lot of the crucial games are going to happen. What about um, the status on Rob Gronkowski? What do you, what, what do you think is the best case scenario going forward, Evan? I would say the best case scenario is that Gronk is out there for the next six games after the bye week, basically in the role that he played in Buffalo. Um, which was a blocker and a decoy. And then when they really needed it in the fourth quarter, they threw that back shoulder down the sideline in, in the fringe red zone to him, isolated outside the numbers, and, and they were able to pick up a big play with him that way. He did catch some balls off of play action over the middle, um, you know, with some space with the p- displacing guys and stuff like that. But I think that I've said it to you, you know, off the air that, I just don't think that we're going to see Rob Gronkowski at 100% the rest of the year. I think that he has dealt with some serious ankle and back injuries, back spasms, and I think that ankle injury was probably a high ankle sprain, um, which is usually bad news for anybody, but especially for a bigger guy like him is going to be something that's the way that he can cut and how explosive he's going to be in his lower half. So I think that all of those things uh, kind of point to maybe we see Gronk at like 80 or 85% in the playoffs if they can kind of see him until then. But I don't think that you're going to see Gronk when he does come back. I could be wrong, but I don't think you're going to see a lot of steam routes over the middle or, uh, you know, in positions where they're going to open up to a lot of contact. I think that at this point, He's not going to hit those incentives. That ship has sailed. So uh, let's, you know, get him healthy for the playoffs and get him right. 
Do you think there's any resentment knowing that he's not going to get those, knowing right now that ship has sailed, like you said, he's not going to get uh, his incentives, and uh, or is he bought on or bought into the Patriot way so much that he knows that he knows the the way of the world and the lay of the land in Foxborough. He knows what uh, is going to happen next. Um, you know, he's only got a year or more to maybe uh, in Foxborough before they wave bye bye. Do you think he's reading the writing on the wall? I think that yeah, I think that he's disappointed in things. I think you know personally. When you're a player that's an all-pro player like Rob Gronkowski was throughout his career, you know, when you don't play at that high of a level, when you just can't physically get to that level, it's demoralizing. I mean, it has to be demoralizing. You know, you kind of can see, you watch, he's mentioned it, you know, he watches himself on tape and he's kind of just disgusted uh, over, like, how slow he's moving and, how you know, how he's laboring up and down the field it's just not the guy that you know he wants to be so that i think has a lot to do with why his personality and his persona and his public perception has kind of gone down and his attitude has kind of suffered is because he's just not playing well and when you're not playing well it just doesn't feel good but i think with the incentives is he's kind of has to be saying to himself you know this is why i wanted the guarantees like this i knew that it was probably going to be a long shot for me to get through 16 games in a regular season. And I told you guys that, and you made me kind of sing for my supper anyways. And, and that was, you know, the way that that whole thing went. And, you know, Mike Florio pro football talk alluded to this, that, you know, Gronk is probably going to retire at the end of the season unless he some guarantees from the Patriots on his next deal. And I just don't see that happening. And, you know, I'm not saying that Bill Belichick was necessarily right, but Bill Belichick did want to move on from Rob Gronkowski in the off season, and now we've kind of had you know this uh, injury bug with Gronk, and he's in and out of the lineup, and he's not as effective as usual. And you know maybe uh, Bill was kind of doing that, get rid of him a year or two early instead of a year or two late, and uh, it's kind of put them in a situation now where they really don't have a choice but to sit Gronk until he's healthy and until he's 100%. Well, uh, if memory serves me, they won Super Bowl 51 without him. Right. Yeah, they did. And, uh, you know, it took a 25-point comeback. Sure did. So I don't think think that that's something that is necessarily sustainable. And I think that certainly with this team and the way that Brady is currently playing, he – would have to elevate his game back to that 2016-2017 level um, for them to win the Super Bowl without Gronk. If everybody plays the way that they're playing uh, right now, even against how they played against Green Bay, I don't know if this team wins the Super Bowl without Gronk this time around. So, um, which brings me to my final point. Right now, at the bye week, they are not the one seed. They are not even the two seed. Are they going to be able to leapfrog Pittsburgh, and are they going to beat Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh um, on December 16th to get the job done? Well, that's kind of like last year. That's kind of the game, right? You know, that's the game that if the Patriots lose at home here to Minnesota, but they run the table everywhere else and they finish the season 12-4 and with that head-to-head against Pittsburgh and Kansas City, I think they put themselves in a pretty good position to get uh, a buy. I, I don't know about the number one seed, but certainly a buy. And I think that, you know, ultimately what it comes down to to me is that these next four games, the four of their last six games are obviously against AFC East. Those have to, they have to be 4-0 in those games. 
Uh, they can't have any slip-ups in Miami like they did last year or, uh, you know, lose a game to the Bills or the Jets where they have no business losing those either, you know, both of those Jets games or to the Bills here at, at Gillette Stadium. They can't lose the to anybody in the AFC East. They just don't have that margin of error right now. So uh, they need to finish the season 6-0 and against the division. Those teams are inferior in every single way to the Patriots this year. And then, you know, we'll see what happens in Pittsburgh. But I think that they have a pretty good chance of landing a top-two seed. When you look at the schedules, them and Pittsburgh, it's really just that tie right now that's getting in the way of them not, you know, being ahead of Pittsburgh. And uh, they have that head-to-head game. They've owned the the Steelers in the past. I think that they probably win that game in a close one unless the wheels really come off here. And then the Chiefs schedule is not anything easy either. So if they can get to that 12 and 4, 13 and 3, even uh, if they can pull off the win against Minnesota, then you're looking at, you know, maybe that head to head coming back to, you know, uh, factor in with the Chiefs as well. So really that Pittsburgh game, a lot like last year, is, you know, basically the game that everyone should have circled right now and is going to be kind of the deciding factor, I would assume, as to whether they get a buy or they don't get a buy. Yeah, I, I just. I get worried and concerned about a game in Miami. Um, I just do. I think Miami's good yeah. enough and fast enough, and Adam Gase um, will probably certainly have a point to prove after what happened uh, in that abhorrent effort, that absolute rollover, mail-it-in effort uh, at Gillette uh, when the Patriots smoked them uh, back in uh, early or late September, September 29th. I, I think he's going to have them pretty geared up for that contest. Yeah, I mean, that's the game, right? I mean, Brady in Miami, Brady in Florida really is, uh, has not had great luck. And, and certainly Brady in Miami is like kind of the one place in the division where he struggles. So uh, that, that's the game. Uh, if they can win that game, um, they, they should be able to go 4-0 in, in these last six games against the division and 6-0 overall against the AFCs, which, I mean, that's really what they should be. The, the rest of this division is um, is kind of a dumpster fire. I mean, it's, yeah. it's even worse this year, I would say, than in years past. I know a lot of people like to crap on the AFCs and tell, say, you know, how easy of a road the Patriots have every year. But this year in particular, I think that it's been even worse. I mean, certainly the Bills – um, as they did play the Patriots a little bit tough in that Monday night game, but that team is a, is a disaster. Um, the Jets, you know, obviously, um, had some moments with Sam Darnold this year, but it's really been, uh, kind of cold since Steve Darnold is, uh, he's injured, but it kind of sounds like they might bench him for mental, you know, purposes to kind of give him a break, um, and put Josh McCown in there for a few games. So it might actually be Josh McCown against the Patriots after the bye. That's the one and only Evan Lazar. I want to thank everyone for downloading today's podcast. I want to thank our great guest, Evan Lazar, covering the uh, Patriots and co-host of the All-22 Pod on CLNS Media with Adam Kirkshin. Correct, Evan? That is correct, yes. I'm working on uh, something on Brady now to kind of explain, you know, separate from what's going on with the offensive line and the receivers, just, you know, honing in on Brady himself, what are some of the things I see him struggling with. And old friend uh, Tom House, his QB doctor, QB coach, might want to make a trip up to Foxborough, I think. Wow. Now that's a tease. Again, follow him on Twitter <laughs> at 
E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. That's Evan Lazar. I want to, thank, of course, thank our great sponsor, The Athletic, for producer Michael Angie, our executive producer, Larry H. Russell, and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. This is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media.